Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is the place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Welcome to another Shutterbug Life podcast. This is episode 23023, and I am so glad you're starting your week with us again. This is the podcast and the place for us uh, enthusiast photographers. These are those of us who eat, sleep, and breathe photography. Uh, We don't do it because we collect a paycheck. We do it because we love it. And that's who we are. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I'm glad that you could be with us for another episode. This is going to be a fun one. Um, today we're going to talk about photographing the national parks. And I have, as our guest interviewee, the man who wrote the book, Chris Nicholson. And you'll find it's going to be, a l- he, he shares a lot of great information about um, preparing for and shooting the national parks. So that's what we have in store today. Now, before I get into our the feature, our feature segment, I want to talk about a few things. And the first is um, last night we did our Moonlit Monuments photo tour, and I got a chance to meet a, a lot of fun photographers. I love doing these things because we all come out and we shoot and everyone is in such a great mood and great spirits. And we, we, we learned a night photography around the, the national monuments and it was just a lot of fun. And I, I met some, some of our listeners as well. So Yushan, who said he's listened to every episode, it was great, great hearing that from you. Um, Conrad and his wife came out and also our listeners as well as Steven and, and so many others who I can't even be, I shouldn't have begin, shouldn't begin naming names because I certainly can't name everyone, but just know that I, I really had fun and I appreciated shooting with you guys. And, uh, and it looks like we came away with some really great pictures as well. The other thing is, you know, before I start the workshops, when we're just sort of in the getting to know you phase, I always ask people, you know, what are your challenges these days? What are you struggling with? And not surprisingly or surprisingly, depending on how you look at it, a, a number of people were still struggling with composition. Now, composition is one of those um, things that, you know, a lot of people struggle getting your arms around it. You know, you either you see it or you don't, that kind of a, a thing. And... Uh, uh, it can be really tough if if you're looking and you're not seeing, as one uh, one of our attendees said, what I envision in my head is not showing up on the camera. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to. I, I've been promising this Ask Kalin segment for a while now because someone asked the or just a really the perfect question to to talk about this. He goes, I don't know where I should stand when I'm taking photographs. I'm going to do an Askelin segment. I'm going, going to commit myself to doing it this week for you because I think for those of us who are still struggling with 
composition, this can be, um, I, I've got some tips that can be, I think, helpful for you in the way you think about or approach shooting so that you get better results. Okay. So, um, I, I'm putting myself on notice to get that for you this week because I'm still hearing about so many people who are listing that as one of your chief challenges. Now, the other thing, um, Yushan, who is also there, talked about, it's so funny, he talked about, he went shooting, doing street photography, and he talked about going through some of the neighborhoods of D.C., and he said that he he was recalling one specific situation where he saw this woman dressed in African garb in front of an African store and thought it would be a really great shot, but didn't really get to it. I'm sorry for sharing this in public, Yushan. I know you'll never tell me anything again. But but I, I bring this up because I think other people can also benefit from it. And I, I, you know, of course, I said, you know, we did, I did an Ask Lynn segment on this um, about a month or two ago where we talked about, you know, tips for strategies for if you are doing street photography, how you might approach someone and uh, either get a street portrait or, or get a portrait or get a, a candid shot. And he said, I, I listened to all that, but I still can't get myself there. And so I, I said, you know, what if. I said to you, and you are going back out to that scene that I've got a thousand dollars here. And if you bring me back an image that I can use in my blog on my blog post or my magazine, I'll give you that thousand dollars. And if you don't, then you don't get it that simple. How would you approach what you do differently? And of course, Conrad, who the other guy who's there popped up said, I'll be right back, you know, cause I, the point there was, and he said, yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably shoot more. Right. And so the point there is a lot of it is about mindset. And when we're so focused on your mindset, you're focused on yourself, how you feel, um, what you think, you know, and, and not about telling the stories of the people whose stories are there to be told. Right. And not about capturing the images and the beauty that that you see in front of you, but you're busy focusing on yourself. And if you knew that, okay, this is now about a, a paycheck and there's money involved, you're less likely to be so inwardly focused that you get yourself into a state of paralysis. So I offer that too. I'm going to link to the, the Askelin segment where I really go in about 30 minutes worth of advice on this, but Again, it's not about you. And if someone doesn't like it, it's not about you. It's usually about them. And it's, it's so, it's, I know it's easier said than, than done or, or internalized, but it really, it isn't about you. And the sooner we can figure that out and, and latch onto it, the better we'll be. All right. So enough of that. Um, I, I'm just glad we had the time to shoot together and, and there's so much more I'd want to talk about. The other thing is last week we talked about help portrait with Wes Linda and he gave us some of his experiences in Baltimore. And again, Wes was just great with that. And thank you so much, Wes. And I heard, and, and, and I was inspired to start the same thing in, in 
the DC area and I launched the help portrait, basically a help, a, a website with a help wanted sign is how I think of it and, and asking for help. And so many of you signed up and vol- are volunteering to both participate on that day and also on the planning team. So thank you so much for that, for being so enthusiastic. I'm really looking forward to it and hoping we can do something that's significant and make a real difference in some people's lives. So I'll be following up with the next within the next week or so with the first uh, email out to those of you who volunteered and just uh, you know beginning the organizing process with you. And for those of you who still might be interested but don't know what I'm talking about, just go to helpportraitdc.org and you'll see there everything we're talking about. All right. So that's it for the the notes and uh, thoughts for today. Let's get into our main feature segment. Okay, so today we're talking about photographing the national parks with Chris Nicholson. And it made me think about one of the first times I went into a national park to photograph, and it wasn't that long ago, well, maybe 11 years or so ago, and I went with my sons, who at the time were fairly young, and we went up to Great Falls National Park in McLean, Virginia, and Great Great Falls is, as the name suggests, a, a waterfall area where um, the uh, the Potomac River crushes over these these jagged rocks on its way um, you know, on its way down, downstream, downriver, however you say that. And we were, uh, you were up elevated pretty high above the water there. And on bordering on the side are all these rocks. And then this really steep drop down to where the water is. And, and you, and if you hang out there long enough, you, the, 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 um, National Park Rangers will, will warn you, you know, be very careful because if you fall, you die. Well, I'm there with the kids and my camera and we are, you know, early one one weekend morning just enjoying nature and just having a good time. Well, as much as I could because the boys being young and fearless and not knowing anything about what danger might be just started, you know, running around and jumping and skipping on the edge of the rocks and you know, there's dad with a camera in one hand and, and reaching, you know, trying to herd them back into safety. But, you know, they're just having too much fun jumping around, you know, teetering above certain death. And <laughs> I thought to myself, I was, you know, the whole time I, I just couldn't relax. But but when I got them back, I, I, got, I was able to set up and take a, a couple shots of the waterfall. And I liked them so much. I remember I, I, I framed them in black and white, matted and framed them in black and white. And this was, and I signed it, you know, you know, you know, um, I think my name in 2014, the year I took it, never thought much about it and, and lost track of it, quite frankly, for a while. And about a month ago, I went into my oldest son's room. He's about 19 turning 20 now. Um, and he had that same picture framed on his wall, the, on his wall, the matted and framed picture that I shot that day with signed, 20, you know, 2004. And I thought, wow, I hadn't seen that in a long time. And it was so cool. And it brought back all these memories, which sort of leads us in, into 
you know, the National Park Service is not just great for pictures, but also it's a wonderful place for memories. And I think that's the thesis of Chris Nicholson's book, Photographing National Parks. It's He starts off with, with some um, heartwarming stories about, well, in the introduction at least, about, uh, you know, his introducing his wife to the national parks and, and, and how he goes back into early days as a child growing up in the national parks. And so he's taken that lifetime of knowledge and, and um, now given the overlay of a photographer, he's teaching us how to prepare for and shoot and get the best out of our photography trips. If we happen to go into the national parks, um, he shared a lot of really good information. So, um, you're really going to enjoy this one, I think. But, you know, before, just a little bit about Chris. He is a, again, a, a, a photographer who was a magazine editor for some time. And he's, um, you know, went independent and his work has appeared in almost 30 magazines, I believe. And, and he's been, this is his second book. The first one was on photographing tenants, and now he is photographing the national parks. So he's an accomplished writer as well as a photographer. And here is our inter- my interview with Chris Nicholson on photographing the national parks. Okay, I'm here with Chris Nicholson who is the author of the forthcoming book on photographing national parks. Chris, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having me, Lynn. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited about this topic because it's been one of my um, fun places to shoot, but uh, you are the expert, so I'm going to ask you all about it today. So I'm glad you're here. Okay. So so let's start with the beginning. Um, at the beginning, why national parks? What's special about them for you? Um, well, part of it's personal. My, uh, my, my family was always an, outdoory, uh, an outdoorsy family. Uh, we did a lot of camping when I was a kid. Uh, in fact, I, I was at my first national park when I was one year old. Uh, my parents were very bravely brought me on a month-long cross-country drive, um, and there are some diaper stories from that trip that we can leave out. Um, but um, yeah, so we were always camping as a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we would go to the national parks, um, and then the other part of it for me is. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a conservationist because I, 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 I'm not an activist, but I believe in it a lot. And, uh, you know, as humans, we've uh, civilized so much of the world. And I think that, that attachment to nature is something that's, that's missing. And, you know, this isn't a new idea. You can go back to John Muir's. Uh, writings, and uh, he just states it so perfectly um, about how we've kind of lost our connection to nature. And when you go back into nature, you feel that. Um, it, you know, it, it, at least for me, and, right. and I know a lot of other people feel that way. There's just some connection there to who we used to be at, um, as a species that inhabits this planet. And um, and then as a photographer, I love that. As a subject mm-hmm. uh, to go, you know, the national parks are, are just like these um, large pockets of nature, uh, of the, the earth, the way that it was. Um, a- 
and as a nature photographer, I uh, I love to to take advantage of that. It's just you know, unspoiled wilderness as as a subject just fascinates me. Yeah, that's 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 so true. Um, unspoiled wilderness, I like that. And and it's and it looks like you said you have photographed every one of them. No, I haven't. I've, oh, okay. Uh, I have photographed about half of them. Um, okay. There's, uh, honestly, I don't. It's not an ambition of mine to photograph okay. all of them. Um, that's not to say I won't if I get the opportunity. It's, but it's not a goal. Um, I actually, I, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a creative advantage to going to new places, um, and I don't discount that at all because you can get excited about seeing things you've never seen before and the types of landscapes uh, and the animals that you've never seen before. Um, but I also think that there is a big advantage creatively to returning to the same places uh, and photographing them in in different light and different weather, different times of year, and really getting to know places well. So, yeah, there's half the national parks I haven't been to, but I've been to Acadia about 10 times. I've been to Shenandoah a handful of times, the Smoky mm-hmm. Mountains. And I like going back to these places and, um, one, discovering spots in them that I hadn't found before. And, two, photographing the same scenes and the same spots in, in like I said, different light, different weather. There's so much creatively you can do when you know a place intimately. Right, and I, I think I read a quote like that from a, another photographer who'd written a a book like that, and I forget, I, I can't remember his name, so I can't give appropriate credit, but he talked about going to the same location in the National Park so many times over, you know, 10, 20 years to get the right shot. And it, right. it was that kind of uh, patience should be familiar to anyone who who does <laughs> photography. Um well, good. That's that's interesting. So, of, of all the the parks you you shoot, which one's your favorite? Um, you won't be surprised to know that you're not the first person to ask me that. Of course not. <laughs> uh, and I, I I I think two. One of them is Acadia, and uh, because I grew up in Connecticut, so Acadia was the park that was closest to me uh it's even though it was a seven hour drive away it felt like my backyard because mm. it's the closest one so if there was a park that i wanted to go to on a whim um you know say i had a long weekend and i wasn't booked for any work and i wanted to just go you know uh, lose myself in some personal work uh acadia was the easiest spot to get to so that's why i've been there so much uh, mm-hmm. that and i love the place it's especially in the fall it's just a photographer's playground um but the other one is Olympic National Park, which I've only been to twice, um, but it it uh, it's just a fascinating place. There there's uh, three very distinct kinds of uh, ecosystems, and um, uh, subsequently uh, they're very distinct aesthetically. You've got the the coastline, Where's the rain. This? Uh, Olympic National Park is in uh, it's in Washington, uh, state of Washington. Ah, okay. Um, about uh, you, you take the ferry from you fly out to Seattle, take the ferry over Puget Sound. I mean, it's mm. beautiful just getting there. It sounds like it. Yeah, and then so so you've got the coastline and the rainforest and the mountain scenes, and all of them. You know, it's like it's like the park was created by a committee of photographers because they all have <laughs> the perfect light 
for shooting. Uh, you know, the mountains are usually clear, so you get the great light at the beginning and end of the day. The rainforest is almost always under cloud cover, which is perfect for shooting the forests. And at the coastline, you get fog that rolls in uh, almost daily. Um, you know, and if it's overcast, there's just amazing tide pools. There's just always something to do photographically in Olympic. Wow. Okay, you've whet my appetite. Yeah, Uh, you know, (laughs) wow. Yeah, seriously, it's a great park, man. Um, So it's it's interesting as as a photographer. I know you 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 talk a a good bit in your book about sort of preparing to go shoot. So let's say I am deciding. I you know, I I like what Chris says. I'm going to go out to Olympic National Park. What's the first thing I ought to be thinking about? Uh, I would just see who's written about it already. Um, there, there's at least one book about shooting the Olympic Peninsula in general. Um, I'm not aware of one just about shooting the park, but I would always see, you know, has anybody written a book about this? There's, there are a good number of Hmm. photography guides, uh, written by photographers, uh, and they, it's a great starting point. Um, you can also check, you know, on, online, uh, people, uh, you know, just to promote their own websites and their own work, or maybe to make a few dollars off of their experience, have written uh, very good guides, maybe electronic guides, uh, you know, that you can pay $10 for a PDF um, and get some really good insider tips about the park. And I'm talking about photography tips, you know, photographers who have written this, because they're like-minded people that, you know, they know the kinds of things that the rest of us are looking for. And you can find some really great out-of-the-way locations like that. And um, very important for photography, important information about where to be at certain times of the year. Um, Because, say, Mount Rainier, for example, has fantastic wildflower displays in uh, early summer. But you know they're not there in the spring when you might expect them uh, as mm. as somebody who's not familiar with the area uh so just doing some research uh finding out where photographers have already been and uh what they've done and what times of year uh and that doesn't mean you have to go do the same things that they did but it gives you a head start uh it, it just knowing about the place you're going i find to be so important because it saves you so much time while you're there, uh, if you don't know anything about the place, then you, you go and you find yourself just driving around, walking around, trying to discover. And that's fun. But if you're not spending – it's not efficient mm. and it's not, it's not time efficient and it's not financially efficient. Mm. So if you're spending your own money on a personal project or if you're spending your client's money and you have a budget, you don't want to be throwing it away walking around the park trying to figure out what to do. Um, know ahead of time. And that, that doesn't mean, you know, you could come up with a list of, you know, 20 places you want to go. It doesn't mean you have to do all of it. You know, when you get there, you can still, uh, uh, you know, serendipity happens and uh, you, you can change your plan. But I, I always find that I, I do better photography, I get better work done, and I'm more productive if I have at least some kind of a plan going into it. And that comes from doing the research ahead of time. Right. Um, 
Do you ever find that doing that kind of research just sends you to the place where all the photographers are? And, and, and do you, let's say, you know, so you go to some of these parks and there, there are a few of the, the perfect spots, but by the time you get there, they're like, there are 50 tripods already set up. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you ever experienced that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and in fact, there's a, uh, I mean, there's some places in the park system where at a certain time of day, you you can't even find space. Uh, in fact, at um, Haleakala National Park in Hawaii, the it's almost a a rite of passage to photograph the sunrise from the top of the volcano. Mm. Uh, and so many tourists do this, you know, just to go watch it. And so many photographers go up there that the uh, common wisdom in the area is you've got to get up there at three or four o'clock in the morning just mm. to get a parking spot <laughs> and just to find a place to set up your tripod. Because if you wait until a half hour before sunrise, you're out of luck. Um, yeah, and there are places like that throughout the park system. And I, I tend to, I do one of two things. If it, if if it's a place I've never been. If, if it's something I really want to shoot, I just go ahead and shoot anyway, and I try to get there early um, you know, and get a spot. Another thing I'll do is kind of buck the conventional wisdom and say, all right, you know what? And, and here's a good example. At, in Yellowstone, um, at the, the Grand Canyon of, the, of Yellowstone, there's a spot called Artist Point that overlooks the lower falls, and it's – one of the most famous scenes in the park system. Mm. Um, and the common wisdom is to go shoot there at about 1030 in the morning in the summer when it's being directly lit and a rainbow often appears in the mist of the falls. So because that's the common wisdom, at that time of day, there's a lot of photographers there. Right. So when I say kind of buck the conventional wisdom, something I tried is to go in the afternoon. Everybody says go in the morning. Well, I wanted to see – why does why don't people shoot in the afternoon? I want to go see what I can make of it. And what I found is that the the light is coming from uh, kind of behind the falls and bouncing off the canyon walls mm. and uh, highlighting the the top of the falls. And I thought it was gorgeous. So yeah, research and find out what people do and uh, the things that have been successful before. But try flipping it around too and and see what you can do creatively with the light that everybody else is ignoring. Right, right. That I like that a lot because, yeah, I've been to some of those locations where you just you show up and they're just you know a forest of of tripods more, yeah. <laughs> more so than anything else. Do you ever hire guides to help you? I, I remember hearing Scott Bourne talking about he'd go to new locations and Scott Bourne, you know, the photographer, podcaster, and he said he would hire a local, you know, retired, you know, policeman or somebody who knows the area very well just to sort of take him through it. What do you think yeah. about that? I've never done it, but I think it's a great idea. Um, it, it's something I just haven't done. I, I just haven't felt like I've ever needed, needed it or, or yeah. wanted it. I also kind of like to travel alone. Uh, occasionally, I will travel with somebody else. In fact, I'm talking to another photographer about doing a, a trip together this summer. But um, it, it is a great idea, especially if you want to be even more efficient and – you know, you get somebody who knows the area um, because they grew up there, because they've spent time in the park. Uh, you know, maybe they live right outside the park and um, have spent their lives wandering around. That can be extremely valuable. 
Yeah. Um, well, even so, and then he talked about setting up decoys so people, everyone will go shoot at the wrong location. He'd have his location <laughs> himself. Really? Yeah, it's funny. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one thing I, I have done is my, my, I've uh, taken advantage of my brother who he, for a summer, worked in Yellowstone. And another summer, he worked in Grand Teton. And he was great about finding uh, locations for me, uh, some out-of-the-way spots. Um, you know, you spend that much time in the park. And he has uh, – he's not a professional photographer, but he enjoys doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so he has a mind for it. Um, and, you know, we grew up in the same family. He likes nature too. So he would take these hikes into the backcountry on his days off and find spots for me to shoot. And, um, you know, I'd go out and visit and – and it was like it was kind of like having a scout. I was just thinking you know, that three months ahead scout. of time to find yeah. spots for me. Yeah, that's yeah, that's great. Um, it <laughs> have your own scout. I love it. Yeah, I highly encourage getting a family member to move into a national park three months. before. <laughs> that's right. There's no other way to do it. That's the way. Do you ever use any of the online tools? Let's say the uh, the. Was it photographers, ephemeris, or any of those other tools that will let you know where the light will be at any point? Is any of those useful for you? Yeah, photographers, ephemeris. I've actually been using that since before the PDA days when it was just a free desktop app. Mm. Um, I love what they do, and uh, I do have it on my phone and on my iPad. Um, anything I might have with me on a shoot has that installed. And it I use it, I would say, on every trip, um, you know, especially if I come across a scene that I want to photograph, uh, something that didn't turn up in my research, a place I haven't been before, and I'm thinking, oh, it, you know, this might look great with sunset light, but I can't tell if the sun's going to set behind that mountain or if it's going to, you know, still stream through the valley. Or I can break out that app and yeah. it will tell me. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, another good one is photo pills, uh, which kind of works in reverse, where you tell it, "Oh, I want to shoot the sun setting, you know, uh, behind this sea stack in Olympic National Park," and it will help you figure out what day of the year that's actually going to happen. Hmm. Uh, so uh, that that one's good too. And then Google Earth, uh, I'm always on Google Earth before before I go on a trip because uh, that. Actually, will give you a an overhead relief map of the area, and you can see what the light's going to look like at different types of day, um, different times of day at different times of the year. Uh, so, if you wanted to, uh, for instance, in Big Bend National Park, uh, uh, if you wanted to shoot the uh, the river emptying out of the canyon there, uh, and you want the the, the sun streaming directly into it so you're not getting a lot of shadow you can use google earth to find out what time of year that's going to happen oh cool yeah so so those are the three that i go to a lot yeah um as long as we're talking about tools i mean outside of those electronic tools and i'm assuming camera and tripod what else are you taking um to make to make the trip um as successful as possible um, I do carry uh, uh, a geo tracker. Um, in the film days, I was terrible about taking notes about the places I was shooting, and I would I would probably spend as much time 
after a trip trying to ID things in my photos as I did actually on the trip. I would just spend hours researching, trying to figure out what I shot. So these days, it's much easier. Uh, I have a GeoTrack around me. Uh, Lightroom makes it very easy to sync that data, and I can you know, just the click of a button, go right onto Google Maps and see where I was and, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out the name of that mountain in the background or that lake in the foreground or uh, whatever. So that actually saves me from my own laziness about taking notes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the big one that comes to mind. Um, Aside from that, I I travel pretty light. I've got the cameras and the support, memory cards and and my, my, my my geo tracker. Are, are you shooting DSLR or film still, or what do you? No, I'm shooting DLS, DSLR. I use a, a Nikon D3S mostly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, do you ever have because you? I, I guess a good bit of your shooting now was for in preparation for your book. Did you have to get any sort of release or? Um, permission to get out there and shoot? I mean, does a photographer need to... I, I think I heard stories about, you know, if you if you have too much gear that you and you look like a professional, sometimes you'll get um, nudged by the, the park rangers. Yeah, there's been some confusion about this. Um, to the park services credit, there used to be more confusion about it. Uh, back when... In the, uh, so I've been shooting for a little more than 20 years, and when... Um, when I was first traveling, there there was some fear of uh, a ranger giving you a hard time, not because you were doing something wrong, but because the, there didn't seem to be a lot of consistent education among the rangers about exactly what the regulations were. Uh, and then sometime, I want to say in the late 90s, but I don't remember exactly, the, the director of the Park Service actually wrote a letter um, uh, you know, kind of an open letter specifying that you no, know, we do have First Amendment rights to be there. Uh, and nowadays, it's very rare that I come across a ranger who has a question about it. Um, the there are things that would require a permit, but and it's a little more complicated than this. But in a nutshell, as long as you're not doing commercial work, you're fine. Um, you know, even out there shooting a book, you have a First Amendment right to do that. Uh, shooting fine art, even if you're going to sell it later, you have a right to do that. Really, what they don't want is somebody coming in and shooting a, a car ad. You know, where they've got to bring in a, a crew of lighting people. Uh, you know, traveling with a crew of ten people and setting up and detracting from the landscape. Uh, and mm-hmm. hurt, hurting the experience of other visitors. That's what they're really concerned about. Uh, so, it, yeah, like I said, the, the exact regulations are a little more complex than that, but that's right. pretty much where the line is. And if, if you go on the website of any of the parks, they spell it out, uh, and you can figure out pretty quickly if you would need a permit or not. But it's pretty it's pretty rare. If you're not doing a you know, a $20,000 commercial shoot, then <laughs> you probably don't need a permit. The only exceptions is uh, are some of the parks have – here's another thing. They, they don't want you doing something that a general, your average visitor to the park wouldn't be doing or going someplace where the average visitor couldn't go. So an example is uh, uh, Petrified Forest National Park is actually closed from sunset to sunrise. And they did that years back because people were uh, 
were stealing pieces of petrified wood. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, whole logs maybe. And so they just closed it off to prevent the theft. So as a photographer, if you wanted to shoot sunset, you know, three hours out into the wilderness, of course, you're not going to be able to get out of the park on time. Mm. So in that case, you might want to apply for a special use permit. However, another thing you can do in that exact circumstance is just apply for uh, – you don't even have to apply. You just sign the form and get a backcountry camping permit, which is free. And then you can be out there and just spend the night out in the park. Uh, another mm. example is Carlsbad Caverns, uh, one of the – uh, spectacles there is every night in the summer, thousands and thousands and thousands of bats fly out of the cave at sunset. Hmm. And they used to have an issue, uh, the camera flashes affect the bats. Oh, yeah. And so your average tourist who has a camera but doesn't really understand how to use it might not know how to shut off the automatic flash. Um, this was creating a problem. So the park just made a general rule, no photography while the bats are flying out. However, the park recognizes that there are professional photographers who understand how to use their equipment and understand how to photograph that scene without using a flash. So you can apply for a permit and get permission to photograph it responsibly. Uh, so those are just some special circumstances. Uh, and you can learn about all these things on the website. Sure. Uh, but mostly the Park Service is very supportive of photography. They understand that these are places that uh, photographers of all levels like to come and photograph. And they're going to do what they can to help you. And help is a key word. You can ask any park ranger and they'll give you tips. They'll tell you where the bison herds we're seeing this morning and where the wildflowers are blooming. Um, they're going to help you out a lot. Okay, fascinating. Uh, you know, I had I, I, for workshops. I know I was doing a workshop at the Shenandoah several years ago during fall season, and I was advertising it online. And as a result, I got a a nasty email from a park ranger saying I needed to apply for permission to indemnify them from and all kinds of um, legalese. Right. So, right. You know, so I'd add to your list too, if you're doing workshops, you might want to check in with them and let them know you're going to be there. Absolutely. And that would fall under commercial use, a commercial use of the park. Right. Um, and they, they do, they monitor websites. They'll search and see who's advertising workshops and they can compare that to the list of permits that they have issued and i've heard horror stories you you got out easy i heard a horror story a couple months ago about a photographer doing a workshop in death valley national park who hadn't applied for a permit and the rangers found out about it through the photographer's website and showed up during the workshop kicked them out of the park so now this photographer had these paying clients that he couldn't deliver his product to anyone. Oh, my God. That's embarrassing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if if you have any question, just check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's the real – the bottom line there. So um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about getting kicked out while you're oh, teaching. Oh, jeez. Could you imagine? What a <laughs> business nightmare that would be. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so let's. See. So you took all this great knowledge of yours and you created a book. How long have you been? How long have you been working on this book that's coming out? It took me about two years to to do it. Now that's not two years working every day because I had to actually make money, right? You know, too. Um, but it took me two years from start to finish to do it. And and, and just tell me a bit a bit about what we might expect in the book in 
in um, a photographer who likes to who's interested in photographing the, the national parks. How is this book gonna be helpful, or or is it inspirational or educational, or what? I hope it's inspirational. Um, there, there's two distinct halves of the book. Uh, one covers a lot of what you and I are talking about, about uh, doing research and, and places to find information um, about you know, both the iconic spots and whether to bother shooting them, uh, that philosophical question that we all might have as an artist, mm-hmm. and also where to find kind of the secret spots, you know, talking to the rangers and, and other great community to tap for that kind of information as hikers. Uh, you go to like hiking forums and because the, they've been in all those backcountry spots. And even though they're not taking photos, they're kind of looking for the same thing that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it covers a little bit about wilderness survival, uh, just kind of knowing the poisonous plants that might be in the area or um, how to deal with an encounter with wildlife. I cover a little bit about that. Um, and I, I do go into some tech tips about. Uh, techniques to use and you know because I mentioned I don't know how many times in the book that such and such place is great for night photography so I thought I should also include a section that tells you a little bit about how to do night photography in case Mm -hmm. you don't know Uh, and then I've got a chapter about working in different kinds of environments so you know working on the coast or working in the desert or in the mountains these kind of come with different ancillary things to think about like um, if you are from the coast and you want to go shoot in Rocky Mountain National Park, you you probably should know ahead of time that your body is going to react to the altitude mm. uh, and that you should give yourself a couple of days to just get used to being at altitude before venturing off on a 20-mile backcountry trip. So I go over those things. Now, the other half of the book is uh, I kind of write a mini profile about every national park from the photographer's point of view. So oh. why why do we as a photographer, why, why would we want to go? Uh, what are the things that uh, a nature photographer in particular, or maybe even in the case of some of the parks, uh, you could do historical f- photography or architectural photography. Um, so I write about every park and what interests us as photographers in those parks. Awesome, awesome. Um and this is uh, yet to be be actually released, right? We're expecting it when? It is the official release date is August 1st, but I will give you and your listeners uh, a little bit of a tip. Uh, both Amazon and Barnes & Noble dropped the book early, and it is available on their website right now. Oh, great. Okay, so yes. we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes then. Okay. Uh, yeah, f- feel free. Um, it was something I was a little concerned about, but the uh, – uh, publicity guy said not to worry about it so we're just kind of letting them sell it early okay very yeah. very good very good well congratulations on that that's thank you that must be um i know this is your second book right so this is old, right. old hat for you but <laughs> i wouldn't call it that yeah <laughs> oh, that's cool anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up here um you know, just one thing I kind of didn't answer about your last question is you asked if I wanted to inspire photographers. When I was writing the second half of the book about all the different parks and what they have to offer, um, kind of my goal was to write in a way that made me want to go there. Mm-hmm. And I I did um, – I, I was a presenter at the Optic 
2015 imaging conference, which was uh, held in New York uh, almost a month ago. Mm -hmm. And I had some advanced copies of the book to sell there. And uh, the next day, somebody came up to me and told me that he has already dog-eared many pages of the book and that he hates me because I've made him want to go to too many places than he could afford to go to. Uh, If that's not a compliment, what is? Yes, and (laughs) and it made me – and I told him, I said, it made me so happy to hear that Mm -hmm. uh, because that – that's what I wanted to do. I mean, the, the parks are wonderful places, and uh, a lot of them aren't, you know, uh, household name parks, but they're wonderful places to go for photography, whether it's uh, whether you're hired by a client or whether you're doing personal business or just a personal project or even just a hobby. Uh, they're just great, great places to go. Yeah, agreed. Well, well, great. Thank you so much, uh, Chris. This has been Thank you, this has been incredibly generous of you to share so much um, useful information on photographing the national parks, and it's such a treasure and a treat for anyone who's a photographer who's had an opportunity to go by there. So, uh, your book's going to be hard copy as well as as um, electronic versions, correct? Yes, uh, it's uh, paperback, and um, it will be available in a. a a couple of electronic formats, including Kindle. Excellent, excellent. All right, that's how I read these days. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, travel with a hundred books in the that's back right. pocket. Right? That's yeah. right. That's right. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it, and um, best of luck to you with your books and everything else. Thank you, and Lynn, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Great. <laughs> Thanks so much to Chris for spending time with us and sharing his expertise on photographing the national parks. I hope you enjoyed that and and learned uh, as much as I did on preparing for and photographing in our National Park Service. Now, you can follow Chris at photographingnationalparks.com. That's his blog for the new book, Photographing nationalparks.com and then you can find his own personal site at chrisnicholsonphoto.com so check him out there and of course as he said you can now buy, find the book on amazon.com or, or wherever you shop for your books all right so thank you so much again for uh sticking around for another episode this week starting your week uh in the shutterbug life you can find the show notes, which will include links to Chris's work in his book and then some of the resources we talked about during our interview and all of that at the show notes, which you can find at episode 23. If you go to shutterbooklife.com forward slash podcast and search there for episode 23, you'll find the show notes or you can use the bit.ly link and go directly to it. That's bit.ly forward slash Shutterbug Life 023. So that's how you find and uh, all the resources from today's episode. Um, If you'll enjoy this, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. Subscribe. First of all, you can subscribe at the the website, shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe. And so when the, the episodes are published, I'll send you a note as well as things like the Ask Lens and other uh, other helpful information that we are sharing. So 
uh, subscribe there. Or if you listen to your podcasts on, on iTunes, just go to itunes.shutterbuglife.com or even search for us in Stitcher. You can find it there as well. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. And if you really love it, then leave a review because of course that's helpful. If you listen to podcasts, you know, we all, we all uh, preach, uh, please send us reviews after that. Okay. Um, if you like the podcasts, because th- those are helpful to those of us who create them. And then finally, I, um, I'm going to ask you if you really enjoy to also share with a friend, you know, in- introduce someone else to our community. Uh, we are a group of photographers who, who love what we do and we love sharing about it, learning and continuing to grow. If you're in the DC area, you can shoot with us in our community at Shutterbug, Ex- Shutterbug Excursions. If you go to meetup.com forward slash Shutterbug Excursions, you'll see where we are out and about shooting. And uh, then during uh, between episodes and during the week, we share in our Facebook group. If you just go to fb.shutterbuglife.com, it'll take you there and ask to join it. I'll, of course, I will let you in because we're all friends here. All right. So that is about it for this week. I am, again, eternally grateful to you for being a part of our community Thank you so much for that. And go out and find something fun to photograph this week. And until next week, enjoy your Shutterbug life. (laughs) 